Hey, this is Barry, and you're listening to I Live the 90s, Alan and Brian. Welcome back to the I Live the 90s podcast. I am Alan. I am back uh, after a week off after having my shoes very adequately filled by Sarah Chisholm Junker last week, who did an incredible job. Thank you, Sarah. Brian, how you doing today, buddy? Fantastic, man. Looking forward to wrapping up this season and uh, getting into the show. That is right. We are on episode 40 of this 90s journey. It is the season two finale, and we're going to do it extra, extra big. We're going to be talking about some very important mo- What? I'm a man. I'm 40. Oh. <laughs> That's all I can think of. I don't care that I just interrupted it. Keep it going. Keep it going. All right. Yeah, for those who don't see, I'm, I'm talking here, and I just see Brian like waving in the camera like, what the hell do you want? All right. I'm a man. I'm 40. Okay, good. <laughs> The, uh, the number of episodes in the show has uh, well surpassed my age, um, so so uh, that, that, is an, that is an accomplishment. But uh, like I was saying, we're going to be talking about some movies specifically, as we've done in this podcast before. We did this in ni- for 1991 with music in season one. We're going to be talking about 1993 in movies. Great year for movies. We're going to hit on some Jurassic Park, some Mrs. Doubtfire, Tombstone, which is Brian's favorite movie. And uh, we're going to have a, uh, a mystery movie uh, that we're going to be talking about uh, towards the end there. Uh, but before we do all that, let's check in one last time in season two and with office hours for the man who fills his sequence gaps, his own sequence gaps, with frog DNA. So fro- <laughs> Frogman Professor, take it away. Thanks, Alan. Before I get to clarifying and amplifying episode 39, Grab Bag, I'd like to thank uh, Sarah Chisholm Junker for appearing on the show in episode 39. All right, jumping right in, Paul Newman and Robert Redford played two movies in which they were professional thieves, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and The Sting. The movies came out uh, close to each other in the late 60s and early 70s and were both uh, quite successful. Julia Roberts and Robert Redford didn't exactly make a movie together, but they did come close when they both had voice roles in the 2006 version of Charlotte's Web. A much more famous couple, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, uh, in addition to making uh, the two movies that you mentioned, Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail, were also in Joe vs. the Volcano together in 1990. Shout out to uh, department store Foley's, which has since merged into Macy's. Uh, Schlitterbahn is German for Slippery Road and was indeed named that because of New Braunfels and uh, Central Texas's German heritage. Alamo Cafe in San Antonio is still open after 40 years, has two locations, one on San Pedro and one on I-10 West. Uh, What's My Name by Snoop Dogg did come out in 1993, but it was October of 93, so we were already in the fourth grade by then. Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken came out in May 1991, which would have made it prime time for uh, mid-90s sleepovers. Free Willy came out in June of 1993, between third and fourth grade, and yes, the boy's name was Jesse. Lilith Fair was founded by Sarah McLaughlin in her hometown of Vancouver in September of 1996. The tour started the following year. Uh, the singer Jewel's family is, uh, is featured in the uh, Discovery Channel show Alaska, The Last Frontier. 
Lisa Loeb. I did indeed uh, go to high school in Dallas, uh, being graduated from the Hockaday School in 1986. She was, interestingly though, uh, born in Bethesda, Maryland in 1968. Uh, there were uh, many a guest spokesmodel in the uh, 80s and 90s, including such famous names as Claudia Schiffer, Anna Nicole Smith, and Kate Upton, although she was in the uh, 2000s, I believe. Uh, but I could not find Kate Moss working for guests. Kate Moss, of course, did just about everything else, including Chanel, Louis Vuitton, Yves Saint Laurent, uh, Calvin Klein, Dolce & Gabbana, and Gucci. So I guess the Calvin Klein uh, guess is probably uh, where the confusion might have been. Uh, I, I enjoyed the uh, shout-out to Fruitopia because it reminded me when it was a uh, not-sponsored sponsor of the show. Uh, Z102 in Lubbock still exists, sort of. It's now... Uh, part of the KISS FM family of stations, uh, known there as 1025 KISS FM. Lastly, on Taylor Swift, the spring 2020 album was called Folklore. I thought it was good too. And the one from 2017, the album is called Reputation, but the song with the uh, Reputation lyrics is called Endgame. That's all I got. Now back to you, uh, Alan and Brian, to close out season two. All right, thanks, Professor Berrien, for Do What You Do, Playboy. Episode 40, Alan, we are finishing off Season 2 with a bang. Gotten into a groove with some movies, so we've got some big hitters. Uh, of the ones we talked about, sort of, off the top, um, what do you want to get into, buddy? Man, I think we got to start with some uh, some dinosaurs. Some, <laughs> uh, some, some Jurassic Park. Um, I'm down. I think one of my random opening thoughts about this is this might be another one of those movies where the remakes or like the continuations that were done well after were also pretty good too. I've heard good things about the newest Jurassic Parks, but I remember 1993 being a monster year and that being the first time I remember a movie where people were like waiting and you couldn't get a ticket to see these. There were so many showtimes. There were, you know, half the theaters were showing Jurassic Park and nobody could get into these things. Um, and I had some buddies that I tried to go watch it with when we were nine and we could just not ever get in because you couldn't call ahead or or whatever. But that's my sort of my sort of opening remarks for Jurassic Park. Yeah, I was uh, I never saw it in the theater actually. Mm -hmm. I only saw it just I think we either rented it or uh, or when it came on TV. But uh, again, that's one of those movies, and we've talked about this before. How kind of like Terminator Two, you can watch that movie now and it doesn't look old. Mm -hmm. They they did such a good job with just the technology and the way they made the dinosaurs look. They look so real that it doesn't matter if you're watching it in 1993 or 2023. They just they still look like dinosaurs. They they don't look fake. They don't look weird. Um, just so ahead of its time. So cutting edge as far as how they put that movie together. Um. Hold on, buddy. I, I wasn't seeing your... Yeah, you know what else popped out about that time? It was when... Do you remember, like, Dolby surround sound was, like, a big deal at the uh, at the theaters? <laughs> I remember... Well, I remember it at the theaters. But I also remember the little logo or, like, graphic at the bottom of the screen if you're watching something on TV. Mm -hmm. That uh, something was, what had, was surround sound compatible. <laughs> Or also that it was, um, you know, can be translated using the SAP button on the, <laughs> on your remote. Did you ever put up closed captioning? Uh, you know, what's funny is I do that a lot now. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, 
I did it when I was uh when I was younger. I I started doing it when I was watching uh The Wire mm-hmm. uh, on on HBO on on HBO Go because there's a lot of slang and just a lot of just drug lingo and a lot of just specific kind of speech that I just could not catch just watching it in real time. So I watched that show with the captions and I ended up rewatching The Sopranos for like the eighth time with captions on. And uh, I don't know. I just I absorb the show so much better uh, when I'm reading the captions. Um, there was a place in Lubbock growing up called the Science Spectrum, and they had one of those. Um, what's the name of the the video screen that's like sort of immersive that kind of goes over your head, sort of like a dome? Do you know what I'm talking about? What the la- <laughs> the laser dome? Something like that. The Omni Theater, I think, is what they called it because it was basically like super HD, but it was sort of immersive. So the screen was kind of like curved and above you and around you. So I remember going there and watching like a, uh, it was sort of like a 360 camera on a, on a fighter jet. So it was though you were up in the clouds. It was really cool um, technology at the time, but they, I remember they had at the Omnimax um, Jurassic Park as well. Uh, and I just, I couldn't, I didn't even think about trying to go watch it there because you knew it was just going to be sold out um, at that time. Yeah, yeah, but I'm I'm glad I finally got to see it when it when we did when it came out on on rent uh, from Blockbuster. Man, such a great movie, man. And I I, I have a newfound not a newfound, but uh, I didn't appreciate Jeff Goldblum that much back then. <laughs> but I really appreciate his role in that movie now. And not just that, but one of my favorite gifs that I use is Jeff Goldblum kind of pulling off his sunglasses. And staring at that giant <laughs> pile of, of crap. <laughs> and I, I use that mostly in like the sports context where it's like, you know, Rockets on a you know, live look at the Rockets after they lost 20 games in a row. And it's just like Jeff Goldblum just like pulling <laughs> off the glasses, staring, staring at the pile of crap. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum has done a great job of being Jeff Goldblum. He's like one of those actors where I don't get, you know, I talked about last episode with you. I talked about Marky Mark and Marky Mark being Marky Mark in, in whatever he was. He's a cop. He's a homeless guy. He's the bear's friend, whatever. And Jeff Goldblum is basically the same thing. He's just always Jeff Goldblum. I just happen to like it. Yeah. Yeah. He gets away with it. He's <laughs> one of the few, like, again, an Independence Day, another huge mega hit from, from the 90s. He's just Jeff Goldblum in Independence Day. Like Which he is... And he doesn't even really play a different kind of guy. I mean, he's still like the scientific, mathy kind of yeah. physical metaphysical kind of thinker that that's just thrust into these situations for no apparent reason well, which like, is great why is a math like why is a mathematician at jurassic park like, why is he there <laughs> well it's great for independence day because will smith also always just plays will smith so i felt like they just like wrote well will smith and Joel, jeff goldblum saved the world it's like oh okay well, well let's just go watch that yeah. <laughs> i'm down for that <laughs> <laughs> um a guy named sam neal who i don't know i mean he's incredibly recognizable maybe because of that role i didn't remember him before or after that at all actually i actually thought of um who is the guy that was in the rookie um i sort of thought it was that actor who's a much more famous actor dennis quaid yeah dennis quaid they had a similar generic white guy look at the time and it wasn't dennis quaid at all now now brian not all white people look the same (laughs) touche um (laughs) Laura Dern, um, same thing with her. I mean, I know she's gone on to do a lot more stuff uh, since then. Was she in the Jason Bourne movies? 
I don't know. I, I never got into those. Oh, um, you have not watched a lot of really good movies. Like I, I realize why you know so much about like the 1990s and as we learned last time, the 1980s, because you only watch stuff from then. Even now, you don't watch new yeah. things. I, I rewatch old stuff. I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jason. The Bourne thing is, I'll eventually watch the Bourne movies, but like ten years from now. That's fine. I, like, as long as you get like, to them. When they're when they're considered classics. <laughs> well, promise me you'll get to them because that's. That's like, I, I mean, I've said this a lot on this probably, but that's one of my favorite movies. Um, Jeff Goldblum, the old guy, Richard Attenborough, who played like that part perfectly. The old man that was like, he just looked like somebody who would wear one of those hats and like one of those fishing jackets with all the like lure pockets and all that, he, you know, he just looked like an explorer. Yeah. And you always see a guy like that out. Okay. Like at that, that, that exact age group, that exact kind of bearded look and just... <laughs> Weird clothing, usually at Whole Foods. Man, let me <laughs> let me tell you something. Let me tell you something about Whole Foods, man. Okay. I'm in Houston, Texas. Okay. There's no mountain climbing or, or hiking or like you. If you go to the Whole Foods on Wall here in town mm-hmm. at night, if you go there and eat dinner, pick up something for dinner, you'll see the weirdest collection of just mislocated people in in your life. I, I saw I saw a guy in hiking gear like with the walking sticks walk, walking throughout that store. Yeah. I saw uh I saw two guys just sitting down playing chess in in the dining room. I saw a, <laughs> a knitting club having their knitting club meeting also there in the dining room. I said, "What the hell is going on here?" <laughs> the food's so good. Don't you just feel good about yourself when you walk into a Whole Foods though? No, really, because let me because let me tell you something. Their hot bar isn't all that. That's and, true, uh, and 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 it's expensive as hell. I mean, Ian, I end up dropping like fourteen dollars for a salad. I remember getting all geeked up when uh, Amazon bought Whole Foods, and I thought, oh, there's going to be like a a nice discount you can just put in your Amazon Prime, you know, and you'll get automatic discounts. And I go and I got like two slices of pizza, uh, you know, juice bar, like uh, whatever thing, and. I don't know, something else, whatever, bottle of water, alkaline water, whatever. And I'm like, oh, I'll just put in my thing. And it was legitimately like a 15 cent discount for everything. <laughs> it's yeah, like, it's, uh... I paid $25 and you gave me 15 cents off. You just give me the big middle finger, Jeff Bezos. That's how Jeff Bezos keeps all his money. He doesn't give any of it back. Yep, exactly. <laughs> um, Sam Jackson was in this movie too. Sam Jackson's in a lot of like blockbuster movies. He has random parts in there, and that's one of the gifts that I use a lot, which is hold on to your butts. And he's like yeah, smoking that, that thing. And it's like flicking. You know, <laughs> I say that a lot in real life. Usually at work, if I'm about to fire off an email, that's just gonna I know is gonna cause problems. <laughs> it's just hold on to your butts. Click. <laughs> There's just something too about like that character being a throwback to like previous characters like that where there was like characters in your life that could smoke while talking but like they never took the cigarette out of their mouth and they just talked and it always was dangling precariously like the the cigarette butt was always hanging out of their mouth as they talked it would just like flicker up and down (laughs) well it's lost because people don't smoke at work anymore that's true that was that was kind of the cool thing about watching that movie is that a lot of people used to smoke at their desks it was not a big deal my dad, for crying out loud, man, he 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 quit he quit smoking uh, not long after I was born. Like mm-hmm. I was I was a little kid, and he just straight up quit cold turkey. But um, so it's been you know thirty years plus without him having a smoke. But in his shop that he ran, he 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 had a cigarette 
on him lit at all times. <laughs> I mean, talking to customers, going out into the garage, looking at cars next to the hot oil, you know, <laughs> you know, not, <laughs> not, not a hazard at all. And, uh, he wasn't the only one. I mean, it was normal. Um, Wayne Knight was also in this who, if there was a person in Hollywood named Wayne Knight, I don't know how many guesses it would take me to pick out Newman. Cause that is such a cool name. But Wayne Knight is not a cool-looking person. Hey, man, I think he looks cool. Do you? Do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> That's another gift. Speaking of gifts, the uh, the nobody cares when nobody like he's cares, smuggling yeah. in. <laughs> See, nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> Do you care? Look, she doesn't care. Um, gifts aside, um, I feel like that movie did more PR work for the Velociraptor than like anything ever could have because I wasn't even sure like a velociraptor was that I knew a velociraptor was like a dinosaur you know I knew like stegosaurus I knew t-rex you knew a brontosaurus or a patasaurus because they had the wrong head on it um (laughs) that's so true man because again as a kid there was always that dinosaur unit in elementary school yeah and uh I know land before time you know it was triceratops little foot yeah T-Rex. Yeah, I never heard of a Velociraptor until until Jurassic Park. But, like, the Velociraptor... I mean, the only other one that got better press than the Velociraptor in that was the one that ended up killing Wayne Knight, which is like, oh, come here, you stupid little idiot. And, like, it's like a cute little, like, oh, 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 oh. and then, like, it just throws those, like, alligator fang things. I don't know what the hell that thing did, but, like, its whole head main thing comes up and he, like, shoots some venom in his eye. I don't want to mess yeah. with dinosaurs. And either. I don't know if that's a real dinosaur or not, or if that was just kind of kayfabed for the for the movie. Oh, Professor Barry, season three opener. Let yeah. us hear it. <laughs> um, what else was on that? Um, I felt like the scenes from far away were better. I mean, there's the epic scene from during the chase scene when the T-Rex is just kind of coming after him. Um, but I think I, I felt the most awe when they're in the open air jeeps and they're like sort of on the the safari or the serengeti or whatever that is and you can just see all the the majestic beasts off in the distance that was like the very cool like because you're just waiting for a while to see dinosaurs and i think that might be the first Mm -hmm. time you get to see them right yeah yeah when they yeah when the first the big reveal Mm -hmm. they just they had to get that right you know okay it's the first look at how you are presenting dinosaurs to us in this extremely extremely hyped movie yeah, you better you better not blow it, and they didn't. They did not blow it. I mean, Steven Spielberg knows what he's doing. It appears. Yeah, I, I, he's the best at what he does. Okay, I mean, that's what he does. Interesting. Okay, this was the question that was coming to mind because I feel like he and James Cameron might be interchangeable. Like I feel like James Cameron could have crushed this movie as well. You know that that's actually a good point. He probably could have as well. And I think if you gave Spielberg Titanic. He yeah. would have done a really good job with that, too. Yeah. So, I mean, but they're one and two. I mean, Christopher Nolan has kind of made his name late. And then there was, like, obviously the guys before Coppola um, and the guys. Who, who's the guy that does all the uh, the uh, wise guy movies? Oh, Scorsese. Scorsese, yeah. So there's, like, those guys. And then there's, like, Woody Allen with the <laughs> He talks like this. And I hate Woody Allen. Yeah, but Spielberg for me, I mean, when I say he's the best at what he does, he's he's the best at that kind of movie, just the kind of evoking this 
fantasy adventure kind of thing, just like how he did with E.T. Um, I don't know. Scorsese's up there for me, but I, I really, really, really like Wise Guy movies. Did Spielberg do Close Encounters or something? What was Yeah, it? Close Encounters of the Third Kind, yeah. So do you know Steven Spielberg made money on Star Wars? Do you know this story? I knew there was some sort of relationship there between what he, what him, him and George Lucas had some sort of arrangement. So they were, they were looking at each other's movies, saying, "Oh man, like they both had space type movies coming out, um, and they, you know, fantasy, fantastical type stuff." And they were both very complimentary of each other, and were kind of like, "I don't know what I'm doing here, man. You, you got it going on. Your movie's going to be awesome." And he was like, "Well, no, man. Like yours is going to be awesome." So what they ended up doing was. I think they called it a bet, but basically it was sort of a hedge more than anything where they got together and said, hey, I'll give you a couple points on the back end of Close Encounters if you give me a couple points on Star Wars. So when Star Wars went on to make like a billion dollars, you know, Steven Spielberg, who had nothing to do with that movie, had this side deal with George Lucas. So he got like one percentage point of like the net gross profits of it, basically. Jeez, that's amazing. So he made like a hundred freaking successful human being. <laughs> he made like a hundred million dollars, like not making Star Wars. That's crazy. I kn- <laughs> I did not know that. It's awesome. Um, I think the coolest scene for me was when the kids versus Velociraptors in the kitchen. I think that was the most like heart stopping scene for me because like the ty- Tyrannosaurus is like there's no hope when you have a Tyrannosaurus Rex coming after you. It's just like. He's going to eat you eventually. I mean, there's not much you can do. You can stand really still, I guess. Um, or you can hide in the commode and get your bitten in half like that one guy did. <laughs> but uh, I like that scene a lot. Um, when it when its little nostril is like uh, looking through the through the sailor hole or whatever, you know, the, the, the circular window. And mm-hmm. then when he like licks the spoon, like both of those like just visceral memories in my brain of like, oh... Uh, that is not a way I want to die at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but they, uh, yeah, there was a believable things. It was believable. It yeah. was it was believable the way they escaped from those velociraptors. And the thing is, really, at the end of the day, they didn't really escape. They they bought time, but then the T Rex actually ended up bailing them out. Best friends forever, man. The T Rex did mm-hmm. come through. Um, how does that movie end? Spoiler alerts. I don't really remember. I mean. I was wrong. I was wrong to to play God. Oh, and they, and they left the island. That's right. Well, for a while, for the time being. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was a fascinating concept of just the way that they thought, and I think there's a lot of parallels to T two. We're going to talk about James Cameron, where it was a very interesting, sort of like fantastical, believable preface, wherein oh, we found these, like, mosquitoes encased in, was it moss? Not moss, like a... Sap. Sap, thank you. And they were able to extract the DNA and through modern technology, like, rebuild these things. Like, oh, okay. Sure, why not? That's a interesting premise. Um, and the same thing that happened with uh, what we thought about AI, where it's like, yeah, the future's going to happen, and eventually we're going to have, you know, some sort of ability to, to travel back in time, so... I liked it. I liked it a lot. I was glad that I got to see it eventually in the um, in the theaters, and I know you said you didn't get to. Um, moving on, we've got Mrs. Doubtfire. 
A Bronx Tale, Tombstone, and Mystery Guest. Uh, well, your your I called the last one. You call this one. I want to move it on to a Bronx Tale. Okay. This is one of those rewatchable movies for me where I don't. I don't know that everybody knows what this is, but the people that have seen it love it. Yeah, I I absolutely love it. And uh, again, I mean, I like all wise guy movies, but this one especially is really good. I I think anytime a story, uh, you know, one of my favorite books is Rich Dad Poor Dad. Okay. Uh, where where Robert, it's a movie, it's a it's a financial book, but but the author talks about how he kind of had these two father figures growing up, and they each kind of taught him valuable things but very different things mm-hmm. that were helpful for him and Bronx Tale is kind of along along that same that same vein it's he he had the the son Cologelo mm-hmm. had his dad who was a hard-working man he was a bus driver uh, played by Robert De Niro kind of taught him the value of hard work and then he had Sonny who was the the gangster that mobster that kind of operated on his street in his neighborhood that took a liking to him and kind of taught him the rules of the street. So he was kind of getting two educations, one from his kind of straight-laced, hard-working father and from, you know, this streetwise person. And, um, you know, he's getting his book smarts and his and his street smarts, and, and they kind of conflicted with each other too. So very interesting story, and uh, it's a movie I really, really enjoy. So when I say Kolodro, do you think of 9-year-old Kolodro or do you think of 17-year-old Kolodro first? I think a 17-year-old Kolodro. I think of 9-year-old Kolodro. I think this is interesting. So I think of 9-year-old Kolodro because it was such a simpler time. And also, I think, again, we were sort of close to that age. So I think we were 10, maybe, when this came out. Maybe 11 when we saw it. And this kid is 9. So I could see myself hanging out on the stoop. I had very similar things where my mom was like, hey, like, you can't leave. You can't leave this area. You can go outside. You can play. But you can't go down the block. Like, that's not going to happen. Um and like all of his friends that were kind of no good for him, but they lived there the entire lives. They're in Little Italy in the Bronx, and that's just the way that they they grew up. Um, Sonny, played by Chaz Palminteri, and I think he actually wrote this movie, too. Yeah, I think he did. Yeah, um, he's the he's the wise guy, sort of father figure for him. Um, he ends up killing a guy, and the only person that sees it is nine year old Colodro. And that's kind of the beginning of that life where one of the things, one of the lines that always stuck out to me was when he says, he's asking his dad because he, he sees what happens. There's gunshots. His dad brings him upstairs to their apartment just above where the incident just happened. And he's like, hey, I did a good thing, dad. I did a good thing. I didn't rat. And that's part of the life in the Bronx and like growing up in an area like that. You don't, you don't want to be a snitch. And the dad, Robert De Niro, is like, yeah, you did a good thing for a bad man, basically. And I think that line always stuck out to me as like a, oh, basically, and as a dad now even, like, that's an impossible task because what you're trying to do is give your kid a better life knowing that, well, I'm a bus driver, not much I can do, you know, this is kind of our lot in life. There is, you know, the worst of the worst guys in our neighborhood hangs out at the corner and now he's taking a liking to my son. And that's a really tough thing where Chaz Palminteri sort of stepped on toes um, and wanted to take care of him. But Robert De Niro was like, no, man, I, I just want you to leave my family. The best thing you can do for us is just leave our family alone. And there was that tension between the two of them that was really fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah. Very uh, tough. One one real tough scene is uh, 
you know, Robert De Niro, the, the, the real father takes his son to a boxing match mm-hmm. and all the tickets he could afford is, um, you know, is up in the nosebleeds. And then oh. Sonny's there ringside mm-hmm. and he sends one of his goons up there to say, Hey, you know, Sonny's inviting you to, you know, come ringside with us. And the dad's like, no, that's okay. Thank you. But, um, you know, we're, we're good where we are. Mm-hmm. And then the guy looked at his son, he looked at Cologelo. Well, well, let me ask you, you know, you, do you want to come down? And he's like, no, like for his father's sake, just to not embarrass him. He's like, no, thanks. But you know, we're, we're good here, but he's kind of staring down there throughout the whole match. And his, his father kind of knew yeah. he wanted to be down there. That's tough. Um, that actually resonates with me a lot too, where, uh, my dad would take me, um, to football games, like Texas tech football games. Um, and I thought about it only as an adult where what I would do is I'd go to these football games and I'd watch the first half, you know, but then I'd end up catching like a few of my friends at the game. Cause there were some kids that always went to the games, not much to do in Lubbock, Texas. So you find everybody. And then a game of football sort of breaks out like on the concourse, actually, this is very like yeah. college atmosphere, like very different than like what you would do at a football game nowadays. You know, what's, what's allowed, like kids get out of here. Like we would just play, play our own football. And you know how it is when you watch a, when you watch a karate movie, you want to go do karate. When you watch a boxing, you want to go box. Like you want to go do the thing that they're doing. Um, yeah. And that's what we do. <laughs> so true. <laughs> and he was always actually very, very cool about stuff like that. He didn't mind taking me. He understood that like, well, that's what Brian's going to have fun doing. Like I'm not going to make Brian sit here next to me. And I was, you know, when we were talking about the, the Bronx Tale movie, he was already 16. And I think something like that, I would have had enough, you know, wherewithal to like not go do that but when i was a young kid like my dad was like yeah go have fun man do your thing like go play some football with your friends i'll wait here you know when you come back and watch the game i'll be here and i as a as a dad um i kind of wonder how that would make me feel if i took the time spent the money on my kids and then they wanted to go like not hang out with me uh it's got to be a tough pill to swallow yeah yeah for sure so what do you know about present day what both of those actors one that played young c and one that played older c kind of how their lives turned out i know like young c ended up kazam shazam damn i can never get these right now anymore kazam Kazam, yeah well shazam's like the the music app uh kazam he was he was the little boy in kazam and then i actually randomly saw him not randomly i was watching a show uh veronica mars he had a uh a very prominent part and he had like the neck tattoos and they all, he also had like a couple face tattoos and I was like that's bizarre and now face tattoos are like no big deal kind of you know like every rapper kind of coming out in the last like two and a half years has like face tattoos so uh, yeah. he's an actor I know that for sure um I don't know anything beyond that and then I can't remember if it's this guy or the guy that played Benny the Jet ended up in jail Somebody ended up in jail. It's 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 older Cologelo. Okay. He, uh, he participated in an armed robbery where his accomplice actually shot and killed an off-duty cop that was trying to stop the robbery. Whoa. So he served some serious – he served about 10 years in jail, and he got out pretty recently. Really? That was yeah. a Bronx tale come to life, man. That was part, yeah. part of the um, the entire movie was that – C's dad just didn't want him getting mixed up with that crowd. He knew they were no good, but there wasn't much he could do. He didn't have an aunt or somebody he could go send him with. So, yeah. but they both men had that. He was like, "Hey, like these friends are no good. They're going to get you in trouble." And eventually they do. Spoiler alert. I mean, go watch this movie, folks. I'm not going to spoil it. What happens? Um, but uh, 
that does uh, eventually come to a head. And I think they were both right to look after him and kind of understand. I don't know that he was any more special than any of the others, but they both really cared about him and did their best to like keep him on the straight and narrow. Yeah, the theme was don't don't waste your talent. The worst thing, the biggest tragedy is wasted talent. Oh, yeah, man. uh, And in real life, that's what that actor did. He was acting. He was he didn't. You know, that was his very first acting role. And he kind of got it with no experience acting whatsoever. He was great. He got it. He got it strictly on the basis that he kind of looked like a younger version of Robert De Niro. I think it was interesting also because this has come up a couple times in this season, just with the subject matter that we've taken on. But that was sort of the first movie that I remember real obvious, like, uncomfortable racism in it. Because it's set in the 1960s, I think, originally. Early 60s, late 60s, yeah. kind of the end of it. So, it's just a different time. Those, those boroughs were very, like, segregated. Um, there's one thing where, like, when they're... They, they show it twice, actually. There's... There's a, when they're little, little kids, there's a bus that comes through and there's just like a, a black kid riding on the bus and it's a public bus system. So conceivably in the black side of town, they would just kind of ride their bus around. So to go through this, he had to be on a, on a different bus than he was normally. And, uh, Calodro's friend is like, what's with these guys? Like, why is he coming through here? And Calodro's like, what? He's just on the bus. Like, who cares? And there was something that had challenged his friend that was like, man, get out of here. And he, he yells at the kid, like, you know, what the F are you doing here? And the kid's just kind of looking out the window. Black kid's just looking out the window. And eventually he just, like, gives him the bird as the as the truck is driving off. And then, like, they escalate that entire scene. And it happens again when they're 17. And now they're not sitting on their stoop anymore. They're sitting out in front of the bar like the guys they used to kind of idolize. Um, they've moved up sort of a, in the class system. And like, some black kids start coming through. And, like, one comes through on a bike. A second one comes through on a bike. A third one comes through on a bike. And that same kid who's now older and has been a hothead his whole life is like, what the hell's going on here? And again, sees like, man, leave him alone. It doesn't matter. Nothing happens. And he just goes up and basically like punches a kid driving by on his bike. And this huge melee comes out all because like you had the wrong color skin, which was so bizarre to see. And I know, you know, whatever's happening in the world today is, you know, kind of going insane. We're not that kind of show. But that was just like a really interesting perspective on something that our parents definitely grew up with. Yeah, for sure. I mean, a little bit different for my parents just because they they immigrated here. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they were they were outsiders themselves. Right. <laughs> What's funny is my my dad and mom uh, lived in the Bronx. Really? Yeah, they they lived in the Bronx by with amongst the Italians. <laughs> um, and but 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 what's interesting is is because that was they they could live there without being hassled. Like they passed enough looks wise as being Italian that no one asked them any questions. Wow. Whereas if they lived in some of the other boroughs, they could be like, hey, you're not Jewish. Oh, hey, you're not black. Hey, you're not uh, Latino. Like that's this isn't your borough. You you need to go over there. Well, yeah, immigrants from Egypt don't have a borough, so they just got to find one where they won't get messed with. And, and for them, it was the Bronx. Um, did your parents come over together or what was that story like? Uh, my dad was in New York in the Bronx first mm-hmm. uh, by himself. He had immigrated here by himself in the uh, 60s. And uh, then he went back home to Egypt for a little bit, met my mom, married my mom, uh, and then they came back to America together. Man, wham, bam. That's the same thing mm-hmm. with my... You're, you're, so your parents are right in between like 
generationally my mom and then the next generation, my grandparents. And that's much more like my grandparents' generation where I think my grandparents actually only dated for like two weeks before getting married. Yeah, that that's about exactly what happened with my, my <laughs> mom and dad. Plus in Egypt back in those days, that was normal. Right. It's just, hey, I'm going to marry you. Okay. <laughs> All right, I guess. Um, any other thoughts on a Bronx Tale? I don't know. Let's keep it rolling. All right, man. Um, so since I got to pick that one, Mrs. Doubtfire, Tombstone, or Mystery Guest? All right, let's go. <laughs> let's go with Mrs. Doubtfire, man. Jump up, jump up, and get down. <laughs> Doubtfire? I like that he's just reading the newspaper, and that's how he ends up getting his name from Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, he's already created this entire character for God knows what. He just wants to see his kids. 007 has appeared in his life and is basically stealing little cute Sally Field and the rest of his beautiful family. Like, how are you going to compete with that? You're going to put on a wig and act like a fat old woman. <laughs> I love that. To me, I mean, I, I still think it's weird because it's an animated film, but I still think Aladdin is Robin Williams' best work. Mm -hmm. But uh, Mrs. Doubtfire is Robin Williams' best live acting work. It, it is so good. Dude. I mean, every freaking scene is so funny. My my favorite, my favorite is when he's there and he sees 007 macking on his, his soon-to-be ex-wife. Uh-huh. And he can tell she's into it. And uh, she's asking Mrs. Doubtfire, like, for advice, like, womanly advice. She's like, oh, you know, like, how did you know when you were ready to date again, you know, after, you know, after your husband left or after your husband died? And he's like, never. Like, <laughs> complete and total celibacy. <laughs> when, he, when he chucks that orange at the back of Pierce Brosnan's head, too, and he's, like, trying yeah, to look like, around. It was a drive-by fruiting. <laughs> <laughs> I am right there with you, man. I feel like that performance was just electric all the way through. Um, when, when, who's the brother? Matthew Lawrence? Is it Matthew Lawrence that's in that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he stumbles in the bathroom and he sees Mrs. Doubtfire... <laughs> Oh, yeah, taking a whiz, standing he's like, up. He's a she-she, she's a he-he. <laughs> oh. oh. I wonder if that came out now, would that really be considered weird, you know? I yeah. mean, he looks, Mrs. Doubtfire looks just like the newly appointed assistant secretary of health. So. <laughs> of HHS? Um, yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah, that movie's fantastic. I feel like it was cast very well. Um that original party, basically, she couldn't handle it anymore because it was like having a fourth kid, right? Yeah, he wasn't, she didn't find him very mature or responsible. He wasn't really serious about his career. She was, and uh, I don't know, I, I can imagine coming home from a very hard day of work and you got to clean up the mess that your, that your spouse made. The scene between he and his brother... When it's he goes super to super raspy, <laughs> raspy voice, and he, he goes up to him and he says, "I, I want you to make me a woman." And his brother's gay. And he's like, "Oh, honey, I'm so happy." <laughs> man, I'm just... gonna re, I'm gonna rewatch this, man. I'm, I'm, I'm getting kind of hyped talking about this movie again. <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire is great. Um, I can't remember. I mean, rather than just doing like a play by play, um, Sally Field famous for like that speech that always gets misquoted so um i think it's always misquoted as 
you like me, you really, really like me, or something like that, but it's not that quote. I'm actually looking forward to Professor Barry like telling us what the actual quote is, but I think it's because she won an Oscar or an Emmy or something. Yeah, and I forget what movie it was. Was it uh, Steel Magnolias, maybe? Maybe, or was she in Butch Cassidy or something? Or I don't know, man. The thing is, I'm, I'm, still, I'm so old school, I still remember her as Gidget. What was Gidget about? That wasn't... I'm thinking was of Mork surf- and Mindy. She was a surfer girl. Uh, old show. Okay, so she was nominated. She won Best Actress in the Leading Role in Places of Places in the oh, Heart. Oh, Places of the Heart. Yeah. Yes, and then, yes, I've seen that movie. It's a good movie. She also won in 1980 for Norma Ray. Wow, I didn't, I didn't realize she had two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she was nominated more recently in 2013. Um, you know who else is in this? Matilda's in it. She's the little, little girl. Yeah, we're his goddamn kids, too. <laughs> <laughs> little kids cussing is always funny, which is like, like her one line. That's her one line in the whole movie. You know where like another like the Asian version of that is from um, Rush Hour? It's like, push the goddamn button. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Little kids cussing's funny, man. I, I don't, I don't approve of it as a dad, but in a movie, it'll get it's a cheap laugh, but it gets it every time. Yeah. Um, she was also the mom in Forrest Gump, which I feel like gets forgotten a lot. Yeah, she was the mom in Forrest Gump. She was uh, the mom in one of these Spider-Man movies. <laughs> really? Aunt May in one of these Spider-Man movies. Yeah, before they hotified her and made her uh, made Aunt May Marissa Tomei. <laughs> I don't know anything else about about this movie. I mean, there's the big party in the beginning. He gets he gets the job just being himself. That that slow deterioration when he's having dinner with the like TV executive, but also with the family is a great scene as well. Oh man, that's one of those scenes that you know we've talked about on the show where I'm just extremely nervous. Like I know everything turns out okay, but while I'm watching that scene, I, I'm just I'm extremely nervous and and cringy and uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm like I don't like this. I I, I don't like where this is going. <sighs> Oh, man. Okay, I think it's time, Alan. It's time for me. We've only got two movies left. Mystery Guest, which we're, we're, we're intentionally holding back. We'll, we'll leave that to the end. Um, I want to talk about what I have gone on record as saying is my favorite movie, bar none, Tombstone. Um, Tombstone is my favorite movie. It's super long. You got to like, I, I don't know that I can watch it all in one take anymore just because it, it's so involved and so heavy and so all the things. But you want to talk about gifts I use. The Powers Booth gif when uh, after like they've killed Wyatt Earp's brother and he's like riding out of town and he's like, Kurt Russell is just like white as a ghost. He's, he doesn't even look up at, at um, Wild Bill and he's like, I just want you to know this is over, or it ends here, and and Wild Bill's like leaning back in his chair, and he's like, "Well, bye," <laughs> and like that's it. <laughs> Sends him on his way. Like, I've just killed your brother. You're telling me you're not going to come back for revenge? I'm just like, I don't give a. <laughs> like that's what he's basically saying. Um, anything about that movie that you remember that that jumped out to you? Um, I know you said you didn't have too many thoughts on it, but I want to make sure we get to them first because I'm happy to just like play I'm, hero ball here. Uh, this is your thing, man. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to sit back and listen to you just talk about this movie. So 
it's come out in recent years actually that Kurt Russell did a lot. So he plays the the it's not the titular role, but um, the main character Wyatt Earp, and they had hired somebody to do it. There was a conflict of interest. He couldn't direct it anymore. So they brought on this newbie that they said, well, this guy can at least do it. And he was so green that he couldn't really do... I think he had the chops to like see the vision of it, but he didn't have the tactics to like keep things on schedule. Because being a director is more than just telling people how to bring characters to life. It's like keeping the entire project moving forward like you're in charge basically and you got to know like what shots i need because it's this time of day and you got to like you got to be in the in the dirt of the thing but you also have to be kind of up in the clouds like surveying everything all at the same time and this guy just like bit off way more than he can chew and kurt russell um who seems like a a really good dude basically took over the directing of most of the scenes that he was in and scenes that other people were in too um, but never said a word about it and didn't want to, like, you know, cut the guy's legs out or make him look bad. But in recent years, that director passed away and other people have talked about it. And I think Val Kilmer specifically um, has talked about, like, no, no, Kurt Russell. Like, that movie is Kurt Russell. And that was his, like, fever dream that he brought to life. And that's why, like, it's just epic. Um, wow, I never knew that. But let's talk about Val Kilmer first for a little bit. I don't know of anybody that's played two more badass supporting actors in movies. Like, he was Doc Holliday in this, but he was also Iceman. Yeah. Like, he wasn't a great a, Batman, but as a sidekick, like, he's just, like, freaking awesome. He was a... Did you ever see The Saint? I did, but I don't remember. Is he blind in that one? No, no. He's like a... Um, I don't know what he is, but he commits a lot of crimes. And, For good. Uh, he plays... Yeah, for good, and he uh, and he plays a lot of different characters and goes under a lot of different disguises mm -hmm. uh, to carry out his his uh, uh, to to carry out his mission. And uh, so it just kind of it, it shows a lot of different roles and a lot of different range that he has in that one film. So he's 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 talented. I feel like the redemption for Iceman was epic too, because like they're you, they're both gunning. The whole point is it's Top Gun. They're trying to be you know like the ace of the, of the entire field and like. He's a good. What 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 is that character? We we've talked about, you know, like Adam Sandler having very good nemesis, like very hateable. But what is that called when it's like a like an arch a foil? A foil. But is he a foil? Because they ultimately become like pals, right? Well, foil doesn't necessarily mean antagonist, okay, or bad guy. Foil is just is what plays off of a character that kind of plays off of the main character and kind of has opposite kind of attributes or characteristics. And each one kind of makes the other one who they are. Mm -hmm. So to me, Iceman's more of a, of a foil than, than an antagonist. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me a lot. I, I think that's a, that's a great explanation of it. Um, he's just way better than Maverick at everything though. I feel like, I think that that was just Tom Cruise pulling rank and being Tom Cruise. So he's the star, obviously he's like, you know, Tom Cruise, but I feel like he could he could he didn't get outshined by Tom Cruise in that movie. Yeah, yeah, and really, uh, the my favorite scene in that movie is when he apologizes to Maverick for what happened to Goose because mm. he he was so cutthroat in this and that kind. He ended up winning the competition in the movie. He mm. ended up being the number one, uh, the Top Gun. He ended yeah. up being the Top Gun, not uh, not not Tom Cruise. 
uh, not Maverick, but uh, when he, they're in the locker room and everything's been so cutthroat between the two of them. And it was a perfect opportunity to just kick Maverick when he was down. And just the way Val Kilmer, just the way he did his face, the way he kind of looked up into the skies, like he couldn't even look Maverick in the eyes because that's how guilty and just how bad he felt for him and how sorry he felt for him. Mm-hmm. He just said Maverick and he, he, he didn't mince any words. Just he went, got straight to the point like Maverick. I'm sorry about what happened to Goose and, and, and walked out. Um, what are your thoughts on Kurt Russell as an actor throughout his life? Do you know who he's, I don't think they're married. Do you know who his life partner is? Goldie Hawn. Goldie Hawn. They've like yeah. famously been not married. They're like Tim Robbins and Susan Sarandon. They've been together forever, but never got married. Oh, I always assumed they were married. Yeah. I don't think they're married. Um, they met in a really funny movie. Um, Overboard. Overboard. That's a great yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, there's actually an updated one that we've watched that holds its own, actually. It's um, Anna Ferris from Scary Movies. Um, and But it's a reversal, I think. It's because she's the... the uh, Goldie Hawn's sort of the, the rich with the head wound where he convinces her that she's his wife, I think. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. The new one's good, too. Um, anything else from, from Kurt Russell? I feel like he's... He's just a fantastic, like, Kurt Russell's always going to be in a good movie somewhere, even if he's not, like, the main guy. He was in, do you watch the the new, like, Marvel movies at all? Uh, I mean, I'm way behind on the Avengers thing. Okay, uh, I don't watch any and, of them. And I've, and I've skipped some, like, I watched Endgame, but right. I didn't watch what happened right before Endgame. You so seem like a well-adjusted, like I, a well-adjusted adult human who has, like, work. That's a reasonable... Yes. <laughs> that's like a... Re- like, you, you don't feel bad about yourself, man. This is not a movie review show, uh, contrary to what the topic has been all this episode. Uh, the only reason I ask is because I've seen... I saw Iron Man, Iron Man 2. I'm, I skipped everything and then ended up, like, watching Guardians of the Galaxy because somebody told me that the um, soundtrack was awesome, which it is. And, like, Kurt Russell's, like, the dad in Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, he's sort of, like, the, the character that kind of runs the world or whatever. Um, but he's he's fantastic, man. Like I said, he was he was great in as Wyatt Earp. Um, it's amazing how emotive he can be without saying much. Because he's got these, like, eyes that basically, somehow they're fully open, but, like, also kind of squinty but not squinty i don't know what he's got but something about his eyes like he can just like convey an intensity that is like that makes that character work perfectly you know i always kind of considered kurt russell um super patrick swayze go on they they got similar kind of looks they you know kurt russell you know like big big trouble in in, in little china like he could play kind of a a, a badass action guy mm-hmm. when when he was younger but he can also play very serious roles and like compare that to Patrick Swayze, who was in roadhouse and just roundhouse kicked people and, (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, attacked people that were going after him with knife boots. Uh, but, but then again, he did ghost, which was a lot more sentimental, a lot more dramatic, um, you know, a lot, a lot more emotional with just his facial expressions and just kind of how to look hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, Kurt Russell does all that, but better. In, in a little more believable. So at the end of this movie, there's this, uh, this epic, basically like vengeance scene. Cause that's what this is all building to. He's a lawman 
who has gotten out of law, seen a lot of terrible things in his life, and just wants to make some money and retire in Tombstone. And the cowboys there won't. He's got a real sense of uh, things that are unjust and not being able to let them slide even though he wanted to. So he got there. He had retired. His brothers had moved there with him. And they couldn't take it. They couldn't walk around that town making money and profiteering while the cowboys, um, who were the bad guys in this movie, were just basically bullying the entire townspeople and like were scared and taking what they wanted and shooting people and doing whatever. So the brothers step up and because he's a good brother, he sort of goes behind uh to follow to follow up on them and after they kill his brother he ends up sending them all out of town and just becomes a like a one-man wrecking crew saying like look if you want to give up your ways and help me i'm going to kill all these people so you can help me kill all these people or i can kill you with them basically uh and he has uh he has an epic scene where he tells them uh you tell him i'm coming and hell's coming with me and it's just like thunderbolt and then there's this epic scene where he's going through killing people and we talked about like epic death scenes a couple episodes ago and there's one epic death scene where these cowboys are doing some sort of opium in like a i mean it might be like a legit tp at the time um and he thinks he's going up to like smoke a pipe a peace pipe or whatever uh, but it ends up being like a really long handheld gun like the the nozzle barrel of the gun and and he looks up and he's like uh and he sees kurt russell on the other end of it and kurt russell just like looking him dead in the eye just fires it off and kills the guy. I was like, okay, that's a that's a terrible way to Good die. Death. It's a great death scene. <laughs> Bill Paxton is in that movie from Twister, actually. He's the brother that dies. That's the one that we've all been talking about the entire time. Oh, um, okay. Did you ever see Twister? Long time ago. I, I felt don't like, remember any of that. So Helen Hunt was like the the one he's fallen in love with, but he's got an ex-wife, and I feel like that ex-wife like played that role perfectly. Just like very annoying, very unlikable. Um, and kind of a shrew. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, let's put this bad boy up. Let's go to the mystery guest. All right, the mystery guest is one of my all-time favorite movies. Came out in 1993, and I've got to give a shout out to the back-to-back members of the month, the Pastrano brothers, because this is a movie we talk about. All the time, um, since we were kids, falling down with Michael Douglas. Just one of the ultimate, ultimate movies. Great freaking movie. He's a guy, He's uh, uh, he gets laid off from his job at the beginning of the movie. He gets stuck in a traffic jam on his way home. It's his daughter's birthday. He's, he's divorced and he's going to his ex-wife's house to go to his daughter's birthday party. And he's stuck in traffic and he just freaking loses it. He just he just abandons his car right right then and there and just goes on a freaking rampage. But it's a very like you're on his side because he's only rampaging on things that aren't fair. And and you agree with him. So I'll, I'll give you an example. He goes to a fast food restaurant <laughs> and he wants breakfast and but they stopped serving breakfast 2 minutes ago. And it'll surely there you can go back there. There's still some leftover McMuffin or something left you can give me. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know what? Okay, fine, forget it. I'll just order a burger. So they give him the burger. Burger it looks terrible, you know. And he's like, see that? See that photo up there? <laughs> see how that picture of that burger looks? <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong? What's wrong with this picture? This is what I get. So yeah, we've all we've all been there. You know, we have. Uh, there was there's a couple things about this. I feel like one. It's sort of like bizarro curb your enthusiasm where like he ends up in all these situations. There's the way that Larry David ends up like handling the situation, which is like, oh, well, I'm kind of the 
asshole, like I'll just like defer and whatever. But there, there's like the other way that you could handle these situations, which is just to go postal on all of them, basically. And that's what this movie was. <laughs> just the guy thing. It's a mix between that and like the adult version of uh, Alexander's and his terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. <laughs> <laughs> you remember, remember that book? Yeah. <laughs> But again, he goes to a, to a convenience store and everything's overpriced, and uh, he just rails on the guy for selling, you know, a Coke for seventy five cents for a stinking soda is what is what he calls it. When you know, at that time, yeah, that was crazy. You know, usually it was a a quarter or, or fifty cents, and he's like, he keeps him pulling up each item. He's like, how much is this? The guy's like, dollar twelve. He's like, wrong. Like, takes <laughs> his bat, like smashes the smashes the entire <laughs> shelf down. But uh, the the best movie, and it's again, this is there's some sensitive content here, man. Yes. Um, in, in this movie, but he goes to an army surplus store, and the uh, the the owner's a a, a neo Nazi, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean he ends up he ends up killing the guy rightfully, but uh, the guy like takes him down to this to his basement where he has his own private stash of all these kind of knickknacks and things, and mm. I was telling I was telling you how. Like Mrs. I Live the Nineties has heard me quote things so much that she starts to quote them. Yeah. So there's one thing that he that the surplus store guy says. He goes, he pulls up this can of Cyclone B, which was this gas, mm-hmm. and he goes, he's like, you hear that, man? Like it's empty. It's like this was used, man. This was actually used. So, so, so whenever I find the context, I say that this was used, man. This was actually used. <laughs> And then I, I found Mrs. Isle of the 90s just starts saying that. I don't even remember what she was saying it about. She goes, this was used, man. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, Robert Duvall uh, acts opposite of him in this. And the sort of parallel line is it's his last day of work on the police force, right? Yeah, yeah, he's retiring. Yeah. Yeah, so one, one guy got laid off that day. One guy is retiring voluntarily. Uh, that day and uh he he has a bazooka michael michael douglas does and yeah. he's uh he, he shows up to this construction site and then he starts calling them out because it's it's unnecessary construction they're fixing the road for no reason causing traffic for no reason causing shutdowns for no reason and uh he's trying to figure out how to shoot this thing and he can't figure it out and a little kid on his bike goes up to him and starts showing him how to shoot it <laughs> He's like, yeah, you just push the trigger right there, pull that out, that extends out, and the kid thinks they're shooting a movie. He's like, what movie are you making? He's like, oh, uh, uh, Under Construction. Yeah, that's the movie. (laughs) (laughs) And the best part about that movie is how Michael Douglas looks. He looks so beaten down. He's he's wearing a short sleeve shirt with a tie, kind of like that Dave Thomas look Mm -hmm. uh, from from the Wendy's commercials and the high and tight crew cut. Uh, I, I don't know. I find it equivalent to like how Brian Cranston played Walter White, where like he just knew how to physically look like a worn out man. Accurate. And, uh, and and Michael Douglas did the same thing in that movie. Great freaking movie. I love it. One of my all time favorites. I to this day, almost weekly, I will just watch YouTube clips of uh of of that movie. You know what that um, reminded me of too is that anytime I saw the comic character Dilbert. like that's kind of for whatever reason like i could see one being sort of like spawned by the other um that's just that same kind of kind of thinking yeah yeah for sure just that is in the short sleeves with the ties just 
such a goofy look. It was, man. That was my grandpa. He was a he was a used car salesman forever, and he wore that the short sleeves with the tie. Yep, button down. I mean, it's not a great. He also had a lot of like brown pants, not khaki or tan, like just like brown dress pants. The straight brown, <laughs> <laughs> like nineteen seventies brown. You know how it had like that yellowish tint to it, like that kind yeah. of brown, mustard brown. <laughs> man, great episode, buddy. Um, let's button this up. Let's talk a little bit about. Uh, the season a bit here before we go and kind of what we got planned for next season, even though it's still up in the air a bit. So let's just go through some of the season two highlights. Um, I asked Sarah what her favorite episode was, and I only got one deep before she realized she had her favorite. Uh, from the 90s daytime talk show, um, we didn't actually talk about Sarah, uh, Sally, Jesse, Raphael, but I definitely remembered when she said like sending them to boot camp, like that was a big deal, sending these Bebe's kids to boot camp. Yes, yes, she did that a lot, and uh, the thing is, they'd always bring out the the drill instructor, yeah. the drill sergeant, on stage, like, with them live, uh-huh. and he would just run up to their faces and start yelling at them, like, you will be disciplined, you will come with me, you will wake up at 500 hours, you will do this. like, just run. <laughs> <laughs> Scared straight. Um, we followed up with Girls Get a Voice, which was good. Um, I don't know if there's anything else that needs to be flushed out there. Beyond the Game was a good one. I feel like that one didn't get... I don't know. I feel like that one had long legs. That's one where we talked about like the NBA on NBA, NBC theme. We talked a lot about all the random basketball stuff. Um, that was a really good episode for me. Um, the one with Father Ben, we did little kid baseball movies. Um, there might be room somewhere for just like little kid movies as well, where we talk about what's the hockey movie? The little uh, Mighty Ducks. Mighty Ducks. We haven't talked about Little Giants yet, which I feel like are all very good. Just the cameos in that. Like the cameo with Bruce Smith in. Uh, Little Giants is like one of the most intimidating people I've ever seen. Yeah, he's a scary dude, man. Big, big old, big old boy. Um, influential music deaths. That was that was fantastic. I really enjoyed that one. Tupac and Biggie, Freddie Mercury, Kurt Cobain. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. I we ended up siphoning one. off because that was going to be where we included Selena, but we ended up giving her her own in season one. That's right. Nineties um, glow ups. Another another great one. That's where we had uh, Queen Latifah. Will Smith, and uh, who was the third? Do you remember? Oh, man, that seems so long ago. It was Ice Cube. You know why? Because we ended up cutting off Marky Mark. And I feel like we talked about Adam Sandler finally a couple episodes ago. So I think holding the the mantle of like most talked about guy on this show without actually being featured on this show. Marky Mark. Yeah. I mean, he, he he was Mr. 90s. I mean, he was a big part of that decade. The thing is, he was much bigger in the aughts. Uh, than he was in the 90s that just kind of shows you he's he's had a quietly amazing career yeah and he's long also, one too he's also like the uh the inspiration for like one of the early odds best shows ever entourage yeah that's it's, right it's based on his life basically oh that was all last year sorry man I, I went back freaks and geeks was this year brother savage holiday movies i mean holiday movies did great i feel like you you aced that one that was your that was your chef's kiss moment i love christmas movies man so that that was that was uh, i was in my wheelhouse for that one alternative music i felt got a little more heat uh than i was expecting just because we knew like the way we defined it was so narrow for what alternative music encompasses and i feel like somewhere in season three we can we can flesh that stuff out a little bit too yeah as long as we can all agree that creed sucks what do you got what's wrong with creed man Oh no! See that? See, I sent that on purpose to dig at Texas uh, time capsule because uh, <laughs> they're they're always telling me how much they like Creed, and I'm always saying that they're that they're whack. But uh, <laughs> hey, 
It's a Texas time capsule. At least one of us here at I Live the 90s likes Creed. I didn't say I like them. I just don't. I, the Creed, Creed is one of those bands like uh, Nickelback. Like, why, why, do we, why did we all agree to hate Nickelback? What, what did Nickelback ever do to anybody? Nickelback's great. I, I agree. I actually have no problem with Nickelback. Creed, mm. though, eh. Scott Staff, uh, did he ever actually box Fred Durst? Was that ever <laughs> was that ever a thing? Yeah, Fred Durst was basically talking a bunch of crap about Creed, and Scott Staff was like, "All right, let's fight. Like, let's box. We'll raise money. We'll do it for charity." And Fred Durst was like, "Nah, man, that's that's all right. That's all right. I'm good." Man, Fred Durst just has heat with everybody. Who else did he have heat with? Eminem. Well, Eminem has heat with everybody. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Nothing was nothing was more sillier. I mean, Eminem's had a lot of silly heat too. Like he he had heat with Moby. Like, oh. what's Moby gonna do to you? Like, why are you picking on this guy? Like, he's the he's this little nerdy electronic musician. But the only one more sillier than that was Eminem's legit beef with Triumph the Comic Dog. Oh yeah. Like, not even the actor or the comedian. <laughs> That's behind Trump. Like, no, the 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 puppet itself. Was that the Grammys or the, no? It must have been the VMAs. Yeah, he like he like pushed the puppet away and like was what was yelling at the puppet, like not the puppeteer. We gotta find that clip, man. That was fantastic. He, did, <laughs> yeah. he I feel like he mellowed out for for a good while there. Um, whenever he did like the interview, did you ever see the interview? Mm-mm, no. You need to watch more movies that are per, more current. But yes, I agree with you. He has he has heat with everybody. But like he was picking on like the, the Backstreet Boys and like In Sync. Poor Chris Kirkpatrick. Yeah. What did Chris I mean, Kirkpatrick do to anybody? That, I mean, that's I'm, I'm okay with that part of it. But I mean, again, Moby and and, and Triumph the Comic <laughs> Dog just <laughs> move, move it along. I think we can all agree, Friends has been the worst episode we've ever done. Well, and I I remember I hated doing that episode. Even while we were doing that episode, I was saying on the air like this sucks. Like I don't I don't like Friends. Why are we talking about it? Because in the '90s we have to talk about it, Alan. You can't not talk about Friends. I said I was glad it was over. I'm glad we got that out of the way. We don't got to talk about Friends anymore on this podcast. (laughs) Apparently, the audience feels the same way. Like Friends episode. It's like until next week. It's like yes, by like a a third the less, uh, a third fewer listens than all of our other all of our other stuff um you know what did surprisingly well late night talk shows the late night talk wars that was a really good episode uh, a lot of a lot of people have gone back and listened to that one and talked about that one yeah it was that was fun to do because uh, again it's it's for us again we we watched those during our summers we would stay up real late i remember for me i had that whole summer i was watching dave letterman almost every night mm-hmm and we were old enough to kind of appreciate the beef between – TV beef is always going to be entertaining. And when you have TV beef between two competing late-night hosts, that's that's a great entertainment. Agreed. Um, both Polly Shore and Arnold Schwarzenegger, with actually a slight nod to Polly Shore doing better numbers. Um, I feel like we hit a groove with that, with that episode in particular where we started talking about uh, a lot of really good kind of back-to-back-to-back episodes right there. But Pauly Shore was like, he was sort of the epitome of, of like 90s comedy in a way. Because I know they were like obviously the major monster stars, but that was one that was like for kids, I felt like. He was like a star for us, basically. Yeah, he was, he was an MTV generation comedian mm-hmm. star. Like we're the exact age group that would find those movies funny. 
and, and maybe that and maybe that's why his career was so short it's just uh, we all grew up yeah some to that man um there was the one where you were out the 90s dallas uh controversies which was which was a lot of fun to do with john and, and david uh david's a freaking superstar in that john i love you you've done great both times but david just like I don't know, man. It was like Jordan at the end of game six and Byron Russell's on him. He was just like, everybody knew it was going in. Whatever whatever topic he was about to talk about, like swish was the answer. Yeah, he was great. That was so fun to listen to. Um, those guys did an incredible job. Um, and then I think we did last week with, uh, with uh, Sarah. Any thoughts on Sarah? What was great was that uh, I was listening to that one and – you started it by asking her, what do you want to talk about? And she goes, Lilith Fair. <laughs> I said, what a perfect 90s response from a girl. That's that, for the first time ever we're getting a girl's perspective on this show. And she, it was just a perfect answer for that. <laughs> she nailed it right there in the first five seconds. Oh, yeah, man. It was great. Um, and then we did Ghost last time. Man, season two has been epic we've got some things in the works uh ideas percolating for season three uh we're gonna take our customary break and it's sort of open-ended right now alan and i haven't actually even talked about how long this break is going to be um but the good news is we've got a just an awesome group i mean we talk about it all the time you know you can't say much more about how awesome that 90s group is but it's the kind of thing that has sort of become the the main i think when i when we started it the 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 podcast was the main thing, and the and the Facebook group was to support it. And now I feel like it's just the opposite, actually. I feel like that Facebook group is, like, the main thing now. And, like, this is what we do to kind of support that thing, to just give it fodder, give us more things to talk about over there. How do you feel? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It's uh, th- This podcast is there to support the awesome, awesome Facebook group. Y'all, people in that group, we all do such a good job of just the posting, the memes, the, the comments, the stories. Yeah. I mean, there was one the other day about, uh, someone had posted a meme about, you know, it's, it's, it's the nineties and, and you're, you're about to go shopping, hit the mall, you know, where are you, where are you stopping? And, and Blockbuster came up. Oh man. And then a whole conversation from folks in the group that worked at Blockbuster, <laughs> Ma- Mozman, I'm looking at you. Um, he actually posted a photo of himself in that, <laughs> in that blockbuster uniform, and I remember him working there when I was in high school. A lot of our our high school crew uh, worked at the blockbuster, mm-hmm. and um, man, it's um, crazy that that doesn't exist anymore. I actually, I actually watched the documentary The Last Blockbuster last night. Okay, and uh, it's it's crazy. There is one blockbuster in the entire world left in uh, Bend, Oregon. And uh, it's as if it, it's as if there's no problem with Blockbuster at all. Like the people in that town go there and rent movies, and it's 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 weird. It's like this little pocket of of '90s that's just there thriving when it's failed everywhere else and is obsolete everywhere else. Pretty pretty interesting. There's one Blockbuster somewhere. I don't know if they got into this movie. I'm I'm interested in going and watching it. But you can Airbnb a Blockbuster. Oh, that's that must be dear. This one's actually operating like yeah, as yeah. a video store. Yeah, um, great stuff. Uh, I think next season I would like to have more three man booths. I would like to have at least you know like five episodes. Set a modest goal of five episodes where we get all these people back on. So guys, if you've been on, uh, look for those phone calls and look for us to set up dates with you to come on because we really enjoy. Alan and I enjoy talking to each other. We have a lot to talk about very clearly. 
Um, but it's always fun to just have a third rail um, with both the Bens, with Sarah again, with, with John and David. Um, and then maybe if anybody else wants to pop on, you know, reach out to us, guys. Like, we uh, we kind of just uh, wing it when we when we decide to, to call people and we know people who might be interested in this. And, and it can be kind of intimidating maybe thinking about talking, but it's relaxed, man. It's great. And, and if you want to jump on this thing, we want to open open invite people that want to want to jump on this thing yeah think about show ideas send them send them over to us uh keep keep the community going uh we've we've done 40 episodes so um catch the ones you haven't listened to re-listen to the ones you like i myself i'm gonna go back and 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 re-listen to a lot of these um we're gonna put together some of our own memes uh (laughs) and and post them which is really fun to do we kind of got busy and got away from that but uh some of the early memes that we'd we'd come up with that were '90s related and podcast related were were really fun. So yeah, go 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 back and dive into our 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 content here, and as we think more, and uh, we're we're I am very proud of what this podcast is and what this community has become, and um, we're all inclusive, and uh, it's it's not a, it's not a two man show. It's a it's a community. And uh, we'd love to hear from you and, and have y'all's participation. So with that, Season 2, Alan is signing off. Good night, folks. Thanks for listening to I Live the 90s. You can find past episodes along with the companion blog, with photos on the website, ilivethe90s.com, 90s spelled out. You're also invited to join the private Facebook group. Lastly, you can listen to Alan Bryan on Apple or Spotify. If you subscribe or leave a comment, it helps more people discover the podcast. We really appreciate your support.